All right, you grab your Bible, take a look at Hebrews chapter 13. So the two verses we've been concentrating on are verses 20 and 21. Uh, Also could be referred to as a doxology. And in the scriptures, a doxology is words that are written that offer praise to God, honor to God, thanksgiving to God. And uh, um, there are songs that we sing called doxologies that are all praise to God. And that's what Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 are doing. And notice in the praise to God that it includes God's work in us. So it starts out with now, and the, the word now here is indicating that he's coming to the end of his letter and he's bringing his letter to some closing words that are fitting for everything that he's been writing about and telling and teaching us about. So he says, now may the God of peace, and here the word peace does not primarily mean peace of mind, peace of heart, but peace with God, reconciliation, the God who reconciles sinners. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, which is all praise to him, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So you see here the work of Christ on the cross. You see here the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you see his glorious title as the shepherd of the flock, our shepherd. Remember what David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then this glorious covenant by which God unites us to himself. He brings us together and makes us his own children And we're in union with God through Christ. And then it says what he's going to do for you and for me. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And what we've learned by this is that when God chose you and saved you, he didn't just save you to forgive you and, and make it possible for you to go to heaven. He saved you to work in you with all his grace and mercy and goodness and kindness and love so that you would become a new person and you would become the person God originally intended for you to be, an, uh, an image of God, an image bearer of God, made in the likeness of God, walking as Christ walked, being conformed to the image of Christ. And when you read this doxology, as we've learned, he is saying, this is what I have planned to do, and this is what I am going to do. So you and I are going to, to reach the destination. We are going, one, going to be one day just as perfect and glorious as God uh, has planned for us to be. Not a single one of us that belong to Jesus Christ by faith will, will fail of the ultimate destination of the glory of God. And so we've learned those truths from these two verses. Now, tonight, look how it ends. And I'm going to look at verse 21. Make you, the God of peace, make you, make us complete in every good work to do his will, working in us. He's at work in us. What is well-pleasing in his sight, so we're living for him, not for ourselves, not for the world, not uh, worried about what people think, but living for him so that he is pleased, well done, good and faithful servant. 
through Jesus Christ, and we looked at that, that every one of God's blessings comes to us in Jesus Christ and only in and through Jesus Christ. And then he comes to the end here, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There is some question as to who the to whom is. Is it Jesus Christ or is it the God of peace? And I think that I will throw my weight in with the God of peace. And the reason why I do that is because it's talking about God the Father, and of course we know that does not, does not leave out the, the Son and the Holy Spirit, but the idea that God with the Father and the Holy, with the Son and the Holy Spirit planned our salvation and sent Jesus, the Father was not sent, he sent the Son, and through the Son, the Father sending the Son and the Son obeying the Father and coming, he accomplishes our salvation, he accomplishes our redemption. And then in the agreement among the persons of the Godhead in eternity past before creation to plan creation and plan salvation, the Holy Spirit then was sent through Jesus Christ by the Father and the Son to take what Jesus Christ did and apply it to your heart and to your life and to save you at that point in history when God chose you to be saved, okay? Chose for you to be saved. Now, that God has done all of this through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So the idea here is that God did everything that he did, creation and redemption, for his own glory. Now you know that if God the Father does it for his own glory, that glory will go to the Son and the Holy Spirit, but the three are one. So that glory belongs to the whole trinity. But I think primarily it's pointing that God the Father with his Son and the Holy Spirit brought all of this to pass, the creation, redemption, the return of Jesus Christ, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth for his own glory. And when God does whatever he does, he always does it for his own glory. Now think about that for just a moment. When you and I do things, it's usually for our own glory. In this sense, every human being operates under two powerful dynamics. Everything we do is to both minimize misery and maximize happiness. Most people do not deliberately choose to suffer. They seek to live their lives in a way that will lead to the least amount of suffering and the greatest amount of happiness. And that's quite a trade-off in a world like this. Now, most people in the world, because they do not know the Lord, they do not think choosing Jesus and following Jesus is going to minimize misery and maximize happiness. We all have maybe said, or at least we've heard, that religion is, kills life. Religion is no fun. You have, to, you, have to, you, know, you have to follow the rules, and you can't do what you really want to do, and then if you behave yourself, then you'll, you'll get to go to heaven. It's a, a, really, uh, a really foolish and a hateful view of, of the Christian faith. And yet, <clears throat> I used to say it, and a lot of people still do to this day, of course. But when God does something, he always does it for his own glory. And when he does whatever he does for his own glory, it's what's best for 
everything and everyone. And you and I, when we stop living for ourselves and start to live for God's glory, we find that that is the true pathway to minimize misery and to maximize happiness and to find true joy and a joy and a happiness and a safety and a security that will last forever. And, you know, we've all heard more than a few times Psalm 16, verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are really choosing to minimize misery to the point where you will never suffer ever again, and you choose to maximize happiness because following Jesus Christ to the end, to your ultimate destination, is to experience the greatest amount of happiness for the longest amount of time. If you haven't looked at Psalm 1611, check it out as soon as you can. So what God is saying in this passage, as he says in many places in the scripture, all that I do, all that I will, all that I plan, every action that I take is for my own glory. And if you and I did that, it would be pure selfishness. But because God is holy and righteous, merciful and kind and loving, it's really great for all of us that God does what he pleases in everything that he does. He doesn't need to check in with you, and he doesn't need to check in with me and ask, what do you think? He doesn't go, I'm trying to figure out what's the best thing to do here. And he's not afraid of what people are going to think or say or do, because he's God. And he does everything that he does for his own glory. Now, let me give you a couple of verses along these lines. And what I'm hoping to do is encourage your faith, strengthen your faith, that no matter what the devil's doing, no matter what nations are doing, politicians are doing, no matter what people around us are doing, no matter whether it looks like the church is being destroyed on the earth, that God is still sovereign and he's still working and bringing about everything according to his own glory, his own sovereign will and purpose. So take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. We'll take a look at a few places in the Bible. And our God reigns. No matter what you're seeing, no matter what you're feeling, he reigns. So Ephesians chapter 1. And let's start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, and here it is, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. So God is saying that he chose us before the world was created for his own glory, according to his own will, according to his own purpose. And therefore, when you're chosen by God, you know that you can never be lost. You can never fall short of your destination in Christ. And also look at the freeness and the generosity of God in verse 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in our union with Christ. Now, read a little bit further here, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
Well, that's the forgiveness of sins, and that's according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound or overflow toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, we didn't know that until he opened our eyes, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Your salvation, not only the the plan that God had to save sinners in Christ, but his plan to save you, sinner, through Christ, was according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Nobody outside of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, planned for your salvation. It was all God planning for you to exist and for you to come to know him by his own sovereign good pleasure for his own glory. That's what all this is saying. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, and what he's saying here is that the way God has arranged for history to flow, for everything to happen from the beginning of creation to the second coming of Christ, so that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, here it comes again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he wasn't consulting with angels. He wasn't looking to somebody else to figure out what he was going to do. It all came from himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 12, um, that... We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So everything God does is that it might redound to the praise of his glory. And you and I will with absolute and utter complete joy, and some argue that our joy will increase all throughout eternity, we'll be praising God and seeing his glory, and some actually argue, and I agree with them, that the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is for you to see God and behold his glory, and that's what's going to happen. Now, think of it in this smallish way. Have you ever gone somewhere and maybe intentionally gone there because you heard it was such a beautiful place. And when you got there, you looked and you went, oh, it's more beautiful than I ever thought. Or maybe uh, a vision, I don't mean a supernatural vision, something that you saw and you weren't expecting it and you saw it and it maybe even literally took your breath away. That's happened to me maybe once and it was at the shore, at the beach, on, on the, on the uh, Atlantic Ocean coast. And I walked out, and I guess we were walking between a couple of sand dunes, and, and we walked out, and all of a sudden, the whole ocean appeared before me. And the sky was perfectly blue, and the waves were crashing, and I went, literally, I went, <gasps> and I, I was not able to take a breath for a moment, because it, it just stunned me with its beauty and awe, and I just... Worshiped God. Multiply that by an infinite amount, and that's what's going to happen when you see him. And God created you and redeemed you for you to see him because there's nothing more glorious and more awesome, more beautiful, more mysterious, and more satisfying than to see God and be with God forever. 
Now, let's look at something Jesus says. Because nothing motivated our Lord Jesus more than the glory of God. Nothing gave him greater pleasure than to glorify his Father. So to see this, I want you to look and see um, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start when he's a child. Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. Now remember, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Even right now, you being here tonight is God at work in you to conform you to Jesus Christ. If tomorrow something goes wrong in your life, God is working to conform you to Jesus Christ. If tomorrow some great blessing comes your way, an answer to prayer, and you're rejoicing, God is working in you to conform you to Christ. Look at what Jesus, how Jesus, as a a young boy, in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Now his mother and father had taken him and the family to Jerusalem, and they left and went back home, and Jesus was left behind. And then they came and found him, and he was in the temple. So you probably know the story. What does he say to them? Verse 49. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Don't you know that I'm here to glorify God? Don't you know that I'm here to please him? Don't you know that he's what I'm all about? My father. I'm here for him. He sent me, and this is what my life. Even at 12 years of age. What an example for you and for me. No matter how uh, long we've lived and how long we followed Christ, this is still prime directive number one for us. Now, a little bit later on, Jesus has grown to maturity, adulthood, and he's serving his father and his ministry. Look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And when you're there, we're going to look at 34. John chapter 4, 34. Now, Jesus was hungry. Disciples had gone into town to pick up some food and bring it to Jesus. And uh, they come back. And uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be very hungry, even though they brought back food. They they don't realize that he's just talked to the woman at the well, Samaria. And they, they said, did somebody bring something to eat? I mean, what's going on here? They were puzzled. And Jesus says in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, what had he just finished doing? He had won the woman at the well to faith. And she ran back into town to get everybody else to come out and meet Jesus. And his disciples in between those two times come and they they don't know what's been happening. But see what Jesus says? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What nourishes me? What is my appetite for? What do I long for? Um, Today, my uh, girls um, set today after church aside to celebrate Nancy's birthday and my birthday. So I've been really looking forward to this all week because, you know, Jerusha's there, Meredith is there, Amy and all, Amanda and all the kids are there. Unfortunately, Rachel's too far away in India and and Amy and her family couldn't come down from Connecticut. But I knew they were making something special to eat. 
and we were going to be together and have some fun time together, which we did this afternoon. And I was looking forward to that, anticipating it. Yeah, the food, and, and they made one of my favorite cakes. Nancy it was one of her mom's cakes that she would make back when she was living. And we were looking forward to being together like this. And sure enough, we had a wonderful time. That's, that's the way to think about what Jesus is saying here. He says, when I'm here in this world living my life, this is what I look forward to. And I met that woman. She was definitely sinful and unworthy. And, and I talked to her and I loved her and she fell in love with me. And now she's going to live forever with me and my Father and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what God wants to do for you and for me. He wants to give us this kind of appetite that we will deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus, and start living for his glory and not for ours. And that's the best place to be in your life. Uh, also, take a look at John chapter 12. <clears throat> and as odd as it might seem, as counterintuitive, Jesus is also looking forward to not just ministering to people, but he's looking forward to that dreadful day that's going to come for him, which was to be crucified and suffer the wrath of God. So look at John chapter 12, verse 28. I'll start with verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. That word troubled is a very strong word. That means Jesus inside, that he was in turmoil. And it wasn't because of any sin. Now, sometimes we're in turmoil inside. We're fearful and anxious and worried, and we don't know what's going to happen and, and because we're not trusting in the Lord. But he was torn up inside because he knew he was going to suffer for our sins, and the wrath of his Father was going to be poured out on him. He says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But, he says, uh-uh. For this purpose I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. Even the horrific suffering he was facing, he said, no, I won't take an alternative path. I will suffer. I will go to the cross. Father, glorify your name. Mm. And then chapter 13, he speaks like this again. Chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 31. So when he, that is Judas, had gone out, and he knew why Judas had gone out, he was going to do the final bidding of the Pharisees and the priests to kill Jesus. He says this, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. See that? Verse 32, If God is glorified in him, that is in um, the Son of Man, and he's referring to himself, God will also glorify him, the Son of Man, in himself, in God, and glorify him immediately. Look at all the, the references to that word glory and glorify. So Jesus comes into this world to suffer, to bear the sins of many. And to us, it would seem that he'd walk around, closer he got to that, the more stooped over he'd be, the lines on his face, the burden he was bearing. And you read this. He knows it's going to be horrible. He feels the weight of it. His soul was troubled, and yet he knew 
both that he would glorify his father and the father would glorify him. And there would be glory to God throughout all eternity because Jesus came to glorify his father and obey his father. We need to apply this to every aspect of our lives. Not only to glorify God, but to know that as we go through the suffering that we go through in this world, it will be to his glory and will redound to our glory as well. So think about this. Come back over these passages. Ponder on them. Look at them. And even now, Jesus is eager to answer our prayers for his glory. Look at John 14, verse 12 and 13. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. He'll be leaving. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And you know, the reason why that is is because if we rightly ask in his name, it will be following in his footsteps. Now, we may have to suffer. We may have to give some things up. Not so that we can have a Learjet like good old brother Ken Copeland has and boasts about. No, 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 no. Ken is going to, if he even gets before Jesus, he might be at the great white throne of judgment, in my opinion. But he's going to be really reproved. Because this isn't about having lots and lots and lots of money. It's about saying, Lord, I'm in this world for you. And I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. I need your courage. You know, some of the songs that we sang tonight, I was singing through it. And I said, Lord, I will be true to thee till death. Lord, I hope I will be. And I can't trust me. My hope is that when that time comes, Lord, you will be in me making me faithful to you. Because I'm a scaredy cat. And, and so he says, he says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, with that proviso, I will do it. Wow. And so you and I, in our lives here, following Christ, because he's going back to the Father, day by day, being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, loving one another, being faithful witnesses in whatever way God provides for us to be, and praying and crying, God, I can't speak to this person. They're scary. They're intimidated. They're smarter than I am. If I bring anything up, they'll crush me with their intellect. Lord, help me. Um, Lord, I'm I'm just plain scared. I know what people think of people like me, and if I talk about it, I know all around where I work, they're going to be, oh, he's one of them. She's one Lord, I need grace. And Lord, I don't even know what to say. Uh, every once in a while, the subject comes up, and I, I don't know what to say. Just in the, last night, the dessert theater. Um, God, I need you to give me the words. I need you to give me the courage. That's the kind of relationship we need to have with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because if we pray to the Father through the Son, he will give us the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the whole setup here. In John, these chapters in John, for you to look for and and believe for yourself in your life. So Jesus is so committed to the glory of God that that's why he will answer your prayers. That's why he gives you his name for praying. Let me show you another thing here, by the way. Let's go to the end of 1 Corinthians 15. I'm sorry, not so much the end. It's more, it's kind of in the middle. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter, right? So the whole chapter is about the resurrection. 
Now, sometimes you get the idea that, you know, Jesus did what he did. The Father exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, welcomed him into the throne of God and the angels. And you read Romans, uh, sorry, Revelation 4 and 5. There's Jesus, the Lamb of God, ruling and reigning with the Father. And you think, that's where it all ends. Read this. Jesus is so committed to the glory of God the Father. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. What happens when Christ returns? How's it going to be finished? Starting in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Adam, death, Christ, resurrection. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. So God has an order here. He's got a plan, an arrangement. Christ the first fruits, so he was raised from the dead. And remember, a, an offering of first fruits is when the harvest begins, you take the first of ripe grain, let's say, and you give it to the Lord. And you're saying, Lord, look what's come in. Thank you so much. And we expect the rest of the harvest by your grace, by your mercy, by your provision. And God gives you that to eat. So Christ is the beginning of the resurrection of all of his people. So he's, Christ is the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end. Now watch what happens. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. The Father has put all things under the Son's feet. But when he, the Father, says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. The Father's not put under Christ. That's what he says there. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So Christ is so committed to the glory of the Father that when he's finished his work completely, he takes it all and he says, Father, here it is. It's all yours, that God may be all in all. And the entire new heavens and the new earth, all of us will be filled to all the fullness of God forever and ever and ever. And it'll be perfection, glory, holiness, truth, and love and goodness, never ending, no more serpents coming in and disturbing the peace, but he'll be in the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet and the woman riding the scarlet beast and all the nations of mankind that rejected the gospel, and they will be unable to access anything that God has with us in the new heavens and a new earth forever and ever and ever. So that's the plan. And the son is so committed to the plan that he will never go rogue like the devil, one of God's top angels did. But he will submit every, even when he's finished all of his work and the father has lifted him up to the highest place, the son then turns it over to the father. See, that's biblical submission, is to live under the right authority. And for us, the right authority is God. And our God is a gracious authority, a righteous authority, a, a proper authority. And when we line up our lives under Christ and the Father through the Holy Spirit, 
That's when we begin to see our lives being full of meaning and purpose and progress. When we try to go here and there and and have our own way, we run into trouble. So this is how Jesus lived, and this is how Jesus made his choices, and this is how Jesus died, and this is why Jesus was raised from the dead and raised up to the highest place in the entire universe. And that's how we will do so if we follow him. So, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Let's finish with this. So if we're to be like Jesus, and we've learned what was his heart, what was his commitment, what was his zeal and enthusiasm and passion, look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the pathway of freedom, the way to minimize misery and to maximize happiness. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Stop living for yourself. Be free of selfishness, self-consciousness, self-awareness. And that's really painful, by the way. You ask any shy person like me, the more you're aware of yourself, the more miserable you are. But when you're free from yourself and your focus is on another and that other is a glorious person like Jesus Christ, that's true freedom. And then you can live free and brave and strong and courageous because of the one you're living for. And uh, I don't know, did you ever read Colossians? This is sort of a a parallel verse. Colossians 3. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's there's another way of putting it, to the glory of God, live to the glory of God. So, brothers and sisters, when you're born again, this most profound change takes place in your heart and life. You're not the same person you once were living for you or living for somebody else, or living for a high, or living for whatever it was. You're living for him. We don't love the world. We don't love the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. Right before our very eyes, you look out there, realize it's passing away. We're the only ones who know this. Everybody else is out there living for this world, trying to get as much as they can before the ultimate doom comes. They die. But we look and we say, hey, this world's on its way out. I'm here forever. And then it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and I'm going to be there forever. This world is passing away, and the lust of it. All that is people are warring and fighting and going after. Even the desire is passing away. But he who does the will of God remains, abides forever. And that's 1 John 2, 15 to 17. So to live for the glory of God, once you're born again, that's what excites us. That's what gives us joy. That's what motivates our choices and our decisions. Do we falter? Do we stumble? Do we sin? Yes. But he always brings us back. That was wrong. That was foolish. That was ridiculous. Forgive me, Lord. Get me back on track. Always brings us back because he goes after the lost and wandering sheep. He keeps us faithful and loyal, even in the midst of our suffering. 
and through your suffering. You know, God doesn't just help you through your suffering. What he's going to do, he's going to take your suffering and for your suffering in faith, he's going to multiply the glory that you enjoy in the new heavens and the new earth. Don't have time to look it up, but I'll give you the verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So God doesn't just help you like, man, God got me through that. Thanks, Lord. But he wants you to realize that you suffer trusting in him. The suffering that you suffer here produces glory for you when you're there. Check it out. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, help us now to practice your glory. Whether we're eating or drinking, doing the simplest things in life, suffering, going through a hard time, driving off to work, talking to a spouse, um, making a choice or a decision, dealing with our kids, loving them, disciplining them, uh, what we do with our paycheck, everything, Lord, that we might practice your supremacy in every area of our lives every day that you give us here in this world. May we eat and drink and do everything that we do with your help guiding us and your spirit working in us to your very glory. And that would also be to our joy and happiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.